what was their first money memory? How did they feel about money? How did they react whenever they're in a difficult situation and money is there? Once you understand your triggers with money, then you could start a more functional and happy relationship with money. Welcome to the Soul Season Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Avery. And we're talking all things. Faith, friendship, and finding your purpose through each season of life. Hello, we are back and so excited to welcome our guest of the day. We're introducing Mero Cisneros, also known as Balance and Budget on Instagram. So you guys got to give her a follow. She's a money coach and investment educator. Her mission is to help women reach financial freedom through real estate education and value investing. She's been super involved with the Soul Society community and already helped us with multiple workshops on money mindset and basics of budgeting. Welcome to the show. show. We're so excited to have you. It's going to be a good show. I'm so excited to talk about everything money because money is my best friend. (laughs) I love that energy. I know. (laughs) So tell us about your background. Have you always had a good money mindset? How did you start developing this brand around money? Yeah, so I started my financial journey when I was 18 years old. So I started investing in the stock market and just got very good at saving. And I didn't come from a very wealthy family. I actually came from a very low income family where money wasn't their best friend. It was actually their enemy. But because I wanted to get out of that poverty level, I started reading books. I started attending seminars and workshops on financing anywhere where I could find it. So that's how I started my journey. The more I grew in my career, the more money I had to put aside and set aside for the future for investing and also for saving. The way that balance and budget was created was through a very hard part of my life. My mother got cancer last year and I realized that they needed money to pay for all of the cancer treatments and all of that stuff. So that's where I realized that with my background in finance and in money management just really helped out my family. I was able to help them out through finances and also by giving up my time to take my mom to all of her chemotherapy. Because that's another thing that money does. Money gives you time. And that's so important. And I just didn't realize that concept until everything that happened with my family. So balance and budget was created from a place of when my mom was going through all of this. And I was trying to find a creative place where I could just be who I am. Thankfully, now she is cancer free and we're all so happy. And I'm also so proud of my parents because now they're starting to become more financially educated. And they've asked me several times to help them out and just teaching them. So when they started asking me questions and other people started asking me questions on balance and budget, I decided just to do one-on-one coaching. And now I'm doing a group coaching as well, too, just to spread financial education. Because although that money is supposed to be used to have fun and adventure in your life, we also need to think about the future and where we're going to be when we're in our 50s and our 60s. So money could definitely be used for those two things. So that's how I started my journey. (laughs) Wow. I always love hearing the backstory of it because it's such a meaningful, purposeful reason. And now it's just beautiful to hear and to learn about your family. And thank you for sharing that. 
I also loved during one of our coaching calls with you in Soul Society, how you created the space to like people to think positively about money. So what was your journey of creating a new money mindset for you? And how would you coach some listeners who have a negative viewpoint of money? So even if you do make a lot of money or if you're if you are very good at investing at saving, you could still have a negative money mindset. And that's what I had when I was from the ages of probably like 18 to 25. For me, because I was so used to being low income, I would just hoard all my money and I never wanted to donate. I never wanted to give. I never wanted to go out on adventures with my money. I had to change that mindset because at the end of the day, money is supposed to be used for fun things as well too. Like how I mentioned so the way that I switched my view on money, it took so many years. I think it took a total of 10 years to go from that limiting like mindset about I have to hoard all my money. I can't buy clothes. And I just realized during that time period that although that I had so much money, I was still feeling very empty. I didn't have very nice clothes. Everything that I had was hand-me-downs, which like I love hand-me-downs. But I was just holding on to it and just creating like a very negative, toxic mindset with money. It's a relationship. Whenever you're in a relationship with someone that you love, but you're strangling them, that's, that's not love. That's like more negative. So same thing with money. So the way that I love to teach money or money mindset to my clients is through lots of questions. I ask them questions as in what was their first money memory? Who teaches them about money? How do they feel about money? How do they react whenever they're in a difficult situation and money is there? So once you understand your triggers with money, then at that point, you could start creating a more functional and happy relationship with money. So every single time that I would hear that someone, you know, is going to lose their job, it took me back to times in my life when my dad would leave this job. And although that I'm very financially secure, I still feel that. So I had to go back and sit down and write everything down of why I was feeling like that. And now, thankfully, I don't feel like that anymore. Now, instead of just being like, oh, that person's going to lose that job, I see it more as an opportunity. That person has a new opportunity to go find a better job, probably a higher paying job. So it's just, it took a very long time, but it's all through a series of questions and understanding your triggers and how to make a negative money belief into a positive money belief. I love that. We like always talk about mindset, but we've never really focused on money mindset per se. So yeah. I love it. It's just about like getting curious with yourself and like living past moments. So valuable. Exactly. Just understanding the triggers, identifying them, being honest with yourself and rewriting your script. That's all that it is. I know from the Faithful 40, we one of our checklist challenges is to maintain a financial goal or stick to a budget. And this has been difficult for a lot of people who aren't used to budgeting and maybe don't know how to set a realistic financial goal. Maybe it's their first one that they've ever set. So if you have any tips for beginner budgeters or beginners who are wanting to set financial goals, how would you start giving that advice? Absolutely. So what I love to tell people is to keep it simple. As in, you could have all of these ads, you could have all of these spreadsheets, but, and if you're just focusing on the ads and on the spreadsheets, but you're not really doing the work behind it, like the busy work, 
then you're not going to get anywhere to focus on one budgeting strategy. The one that I teach is the 50, 20, 30 rule. What that is that 50% of your net income will go towards your needs. 20% will go towards investing and savings and debt. And then 30% will go towards your wants. So that's the one that I typically do. And does this involve work? Yes. Everything in finance involves work. But guess what? If you've been doing the work for six months on that seventh, eighth, ninth month, it's going to start becoming second nature that it's not going to feel like work anymore. And you're going to get to hit all of your budgeting goals along with your investing goals and your savings goals and your debt management goals. I'm curious if you have like, this time allotted during your weekly routine or your daily routine? What does that look like for you on a weekly, daily basis? Yes, of course. So I'm going to be honest with you. It's become a little bit harder just because I have my rental properties and I'm going under contract and I have two jobs. Like I'm everywhere. But I try my best to give myself at least 45 minutes a week just to really focus on my budgeting. So every single Friday or sometimes Saturday, (laughs) I like to sit down for 45 minutes and I like to look over my budget. So I like to see, and I'm, I actually have it right here. So for the first five minutes, it's review your money goals. Your 10 minutes, review areas of improvement. Five minutes, confirm bills were paid on time and in full. That's my favorite part. I love that part. 10 minutes, write down expenses bills that you plan to negotiate or cancel. Five minutes, transfer funds from savings to investing, unless if it's automated, then you could just cancel that out. 10 minutes, add or remove or change things for next month's budget. So there is a strategy with just re-looking at your budget every single week. And I've been doing this forever and I still take the time to do it because I know that I don't want to overspend, especially if it's a heavy month like this month. I know that I cannot afford to overspend because the house is comfort. I love so that. that. Yeah, I think that's such a good question is because if you are new to budgeting, you don't know how much time it's supposed to take and what that structure really looks like on a weekly or daily basis or however that looks like. But that's so helpful. So I know that you said that you had financial background. How did you start learning about money? The school of life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. I've never taken a true financial course in school because what I know is personal finances. I took one accounting course when I was in high school, and that's where I learned about assets and liability, which is by far the most important thing I have ever learned. I love assets and liability. But as in a formal education, not so much. A lot of people within the personal finance industry or even within real estate, they're all self educated. So I learned this through a series of books. However, when I started, I was 18. Now I'm 30 years old. Before, it was so hard to find a coach. Instagram wasn't a thing. Social media wasn't a thing. Coaches were very expensive or you had to get like a financial advisor. And those two options were just not options for me because, well, first, where do you even find a financial coach when you're 18 and there's no social media? But now there's just so many options for women for people where they could just go out and get a coach or watch YouTube videos. So when YouTube started coming up, I actually learned so much more on YouTube than what I did in books because I'm a visual learner. 
So if you want to start off, get yourself some books, get Rich Dad, Poor Dad, love that guy. He teaches assets, liability, income sheets, personal finance, income sheets, balance sheets, and all of that fun stuff. I learned so much through him. Listen to podcasts, look at YouTube videos, and most importantly, go out and network with people in your area that they're into real estate or into investing. Because when you're surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded, you'll start picking up on things that they're doing. And then you could go research on that. Then you could start implementing that instead of your investing strategy. Love it. So what's your Sparknotes version of assets and liability? Yeah. So an asset is anything that brings you money. A liability is anything that takes away your money. So we don't like liabilities. Rich people minimize their liabilities and they maximize their assets. They increase their liability and so does the middle class. They increase their liability. The middle class thinks that a house, a personal house where they're living in is an asset. It's not an asset because it's taking away money. It's taking away from the property taxes, the mortgage. And one might argue it's an appreciating asset. That's true, but most markets don't appreciate by 10%. However, how, if it's a rental property, that's an asset because it's bringing in money. So that would be like my spark notes. Other things that are liabilities would be cars, shopping, consumer debt, those would all be liabilities. An asset that would be like a business, rental properties, investment. Now, since you said investments, I'm like, that's a perfect segue because that was my next question. Investing for beginners, what's your advice? Okay. So if we're going to focus on the stock market, just invest in index funds. If you take away anything from this podcast, just do index funds because they're low cost. So the reason why they're low cost and the management fees are very little is because they passively follow the market. That's the reason why. If you ever hear the term mutual funds, don't buy mutual funds because those are actively managed and the management fees are very high. So whenever we have these management fees, they take away from our return at the end of the year. So let's say if your return at the end of the year is 10%. It's 10%. Let's go ahead and take off 2% for inflation because inflation always happens. And let's go ahead and take off probably like half of a percent if you're like an index fund. You're left with probably like eight and a half return. However, if you're doing a mutual fund, it could go all the way down to 5%. So you're only making 5% on your money. But if you have an index fund, you're making around like 8% on your money. And that's so much better than 5% on your money. And aren't index funds like dipping your toes in a multitude of different companies? So it's like you're guaranteed to do well in a way. Well, yeah, that's completely true. So what an index fund does is that it follows a variety of individual stocks within the stock market. So let's say your index fund only follows 10 stocks. If one of those 10 stocks is having a bad year, guess what? You're still making a profit off of those 90 stocks. Whereas if you were just to be investing in one stock, let's say Facebook, which is meta, and if that, that stock fails, which that's what it's been doing for the past two years, and you had all of your money in that one stock, you're not making a profit. You're actually at a loss. So it's better if you have multiple stocks in this one fund that follows the market. Amazing. Does that make sense? 
Yes, it does. And then I mentioned to you this when we were at the Galentine's event. I have been meeting with a financial advisor and I'm weary because I'm like, okay, what's your motive? She's told me to think about strategy and stocks and bonds. So what is your opinion about stocks and bonds? Yeah, I love that. Okay, so they are both very essential to your financial strategy. So one strategy that you could follow, it's called three fund portfolio. So the three fund portfolio has index fund for domestic stock, an index fund for international stock, and an indexed fund for bonds. So because we are very young right now, we don't need our portfolio to have a lot of bonds. We could probably just have one to 2%. This is truly dependent on you. And the rest could be index funds, domestic or index funds, international, if that's what you wish to do. Or if you don't believe in international stocks, then you could just do all domestic. And then the older you get, the more that you have to reevaluate. You have to reallocate between stocks and bonds. So when you're 60, you're not supposed to have all stocks. That's very risky. You are meant to have probably like 90% or 95% in bonds. So right now you want to start off with being more risky. And then gradually over time, you become more conservative. Okay. I'm a little confused on the terminology of bonds, right? Like I get the stock market. That's like common knowledge, I think. But what is yeah. it? What is that? I'm just confused on that aspect. So a bond is basically a certificate that is given to you by a government company. A lot of the bonds given by the government company. Now, the reason why they're considered low risk is because depending on the bond, you won't get a super high return compared to stocks. Okay. It's a lower return. Okay. So you're more, it's more conservative with its return rate. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just trying to clarify, like you want to be risk now because we have a longer life to live rather than being conservative. Exactly. Okay. You want to be conservative when you're older age, because you don't know how much, how many more years you're going to have on the earth kind of thing. Yes, exactly. So what you could do is that every single like 10 to 15 years, let's say if you're starting at Age 25, the next time that you would rebalance your portfolio would probably be at age 40. Then the next time would probably be like at age 50 and then age 55. So when you're hitting that 60 mark and if we were to go into another recession, like it's okay because everything is now in bond and bonds don't fluctuate as much as stocks do. Got it. So for instance, what happened in 2008 So many people were on the news and everyone was saying their 401k doesn't have any money. That's not, well, yes, but a 401k, that's a vehicle. But it was what was inside of the vehicle that went all the way down, which they probably had mainly only stocks, if that makes sense. So what bond is supposed to do, it's supposed to prevent you from going all the way down when you're closer to retirement age. Right now, because we're so young, if the market goes down, I really don't care. It's going to come back up. I'm investing in index funds. Like, I don't care. I'm going to put more money into it. However, when I'm 60 and when they're all mainly in bonds, I'm going to be like, wow, we go through a recession right now. It's fine. It's not going to really affect me that much. Does that make sense? I have a question. So if I want to invest in the next funds right now, (laughs) how do I start? (laughs) Okay, 
So first, you're going to want to do a little bit of research on which index fund to buy. I like to buy the S&P 500, but then you would choose which brokerage. So you could do Charles Schwab, Vanguard, or Fidelity. Those are like the top ones that I really like. So then you would go into their platform. You would have to open up a brokerage account. And if you don't have a Roth IRA, I recommend opening up the Roth IRA first within three, these three brokerage. So getting in that A, just maxing out the IRA first. Okay. Then what I would do is that I would literally type in Google, what is the S&P 500 index fund for Charles Schwab? And then it's going to give you the ticker symbol. I'll get that little ticker symbol and just put it into Charles Schwab in the trading center and then make your trade. And that's how you invest. So it's actually really easy. It's not hard. Like the process is not hard. It's the education behind it. It's understanding why I am investing in an index fund. Because that's one thing that I love to teach my client. I want them to be able to use the same wordage that I'm using. So I want them to be able to say, I am going to invest $500 a month into the S&P 500 in my Charles Schwab account. And by the time that I reach age 59 and a half, I will have approximately $2.2 million by utilizing the strategy. But before people come to me, they're just saying, oh, I invest $50. And they assume that they're going to be at the 2.2 mil. But yeah, so education comes into place. I want people to be able to say exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. Confidence. <laughs> Yeah. It's like of affirmations for why you're, what's your why behind investing and seeing. Yes, exactly. No, that's so good. So on the topic, going back to the money mindset, I know like we have a lot of faithful Christian women as our listeners. And I know one of the topics that we talked about in Soul Society was our relationship with money around our faith and our values and our morals. And I love how you started off this whole story, like sharing how money has given you time for your family and has been able to help your mother with her chemo treatments and just having a higher purpose that's less greedy, but like loving people and being able to bless others. So how would you, I mean, I guess my question more so is for that person, for that listener who sees that they want to be charitable, sees that they want to serve more, they want to give more of their time, maybe want to tie to the church or whatever that might look like. What would be maybe a beginner strategy for being able to save for being a giver or somebody that can be able to actually donate the way that they want to? Of course. And I really love this question a lot. And I would answer first with, just going in with so much intention of you wanting to give more. Remember, we cannot give more if we do not make more and if we are not protecting our financial security first. Because right. at the end of the day, like if you just give, but you're not also giving to yourself, I just don't want everyone to wake up at the age of 55 and just be like, I feel so full, but at the same time, I can't afford my treatment. That's not fair. And I feel like God or Jesus would not want that for you either. There's a reason why he put money into our lives and it's so we could take care of ourselves, but also taking care of others. So again, it's just changing that mindset and just being like, this money is not, I'm not seeing this money as being greedy. I'm seeing this money as being giving. I'm seeing this money as growing. And once I grow to the place that I want to, which you will, prom I promise you, you will grow to that place. Then I could start giving without it hurting me financially. Yeah. Now I could start giving an abundance 
without struggling financially every single month. So yes, you can have the best of both worlds. I truly believe that you can. With your 50, 30, 20 rule, with 50% money going to your needs, 30% going to wants, and then 20% going to... 20% going towards investing and saving and extra debt payoff. Okay. So what it's needs, wants, and savings, investing, slash more debt payoff. Okay. Going on the topic of tithing, what would you do with your money to give? What would you take it out of? Which percentage? I just actually switched over. Now it's falling under a need. But then again, I'm there in my financial life where I can put it under a need. It's not a want, like I need to give. Like I literally want to give because I'm already like investing so much. However, for the 50, 30, 20 rule, that's what I teach beginners. Once you get a hang of that, I typically tell my clients that I need for them to rearrange all of their numbers. So when they're in the middle stages, I tell them instead of your wants being 30, now we're going to change it. Now your savings and investing will be 30. And then once they get to higher level, now 50% is going towards your savings and your investing. And then 30% is towards your needs and 20% is towards your wants. So I'm already at that point where I'm investing and saving so much, if that makes sense, because I switched around everything. But that truly depends on where you are at in your budget journey. So let's say if you're just starting off, I wouldn't put donations falling under needs, although that I could, I would understand how someone would put it under needs. I would say probably put it under the investing or put it under the want, actually put it under the want because the want's a little bit higher because it's at a 30%. Yeah, that makes sense. That's helpful. And I think yeah. it totally depends on your mindset in that point of time. Okay, it is in a way falls under all of them because it's like, okay, I want to do this. I need to do this. And it's an investment for my future. And I've noticed within my own financial journey, when I give, it's crazy because nine times out of 10, that exact amount will come back into my bank account in some form or fashion. It's crazy. And I just am like, okay, God, that was a total like wink from you because yeah, I'm being not a vault, but a vessel. Exactly. I love that. And you talked about the stock market of, okay, we're in a recession. Like it's going to come back again. Like it's going to fluctuate. And you have this like flowy mindset with money. And I think that's so valuable because oftentimes we think we have very limiting beliefs and it's not flowy and it's not in that flow state. It's like in a blocked off state. But I think it has everything to do with like your mindset and energy around and just how you treat yourself with your finances. So I love that. Thank you so much. If I have to be honest, it's like, it's an everyday exercise that I have to do. I've mastered it in the stock market because I've been doing stock since I was like 18. So I know that it's going to come back. But right now I'm still going through some things that are like real estate. Like I'm closing on my very first Airbnb in California, which is my first out-of-state investing. And yeah, no, it's fun. Yay, retreat. Amazing. (laughs) We want to do one. I was like, retreat. (laughs) But I'm going back Every single day where I am just, it's a limiting belief because it's something new and I just have to work on it. So every single day, I'm just like, no, Mary, you have to keep on pushing. Yeah, You got to keep on pushing because this is going to be good for the future. I know that you're scared and that is okay. There's been so many other real estate investors go listen to podcasts. 
But even I have that. And it's just getting yourself out of that mindset, because if I'm not going to get out of the mindset for the next deal that comes on, guess what? I'm going to have the exact same problems because God is going to be like, you did not learn your lesson. So here's the same problem until you learn that lesson. Do you have any affirmations for your finances? I actually don't. I like to sleep in. I love naps. I, I love naps. I love naps. It is what it is. I, that's why I worked so hard so I could have more naps. You really are truthful about saying that money buys time. So you yeah. more. That's beautiful. <laughs> Why? The more money I have, like passive income, the more naps I get to take, which I love. I love it. But I have been working since I was 15 too, so I think I deserve those naps. So one of my affirmations is actually not a money affirmation, at least not the one for this year, because I've realized that money, I'm money flows. It's everywhere. Like I love it. It's already innate. For me, it's more like blocks, but it's not so much money blocks. It's more action blocks. So what I like to repeat to myself just throughout the day, I'm just like, everything is figure outable. Everything is just go figure it out. That's all that you got to do. Just figure it out. <laughs> I love that, especially with a Google search bar. And I love that you said, I went to the school of life because it's the best teacher. Yeah. So far, it's been very like nice to me. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I just, I tell myself that everything is figure outable because if you don't have the answer, someone else does. And you just got to go look for those people. You've mentioned it multiple times that you've worked so much and you have multiple jobs. But I wanted to ask you for somebody who maybe is looking and they're like, I don't have enough. Just I'm like living paycheck to paycheck. I'm living with debt. I have I feel like I'm in the negative already. How would you recommend starting one, maybe like multiple streams of income? Like what's your advice for bringing in more streams of income so that you can start budgeting and you can start doing the things that you want to do with money? Of course. So I would have a reality check with myself first. When I started working, I was 15 years old and I worked in the service industry for probably 10 years from 15 to 25. I've also worked multiple jobs during that time. So I was a server, bartender, cashier. I was a piano teacher at once. I don't even play the piano anymore, but yeah, I, was a piano teacher. I play nothing. Don't have to play anymore. But it was just reality check with myself and me understanding my true goal. And even when I did graduate for my bachelor's and I was working as an assistant speech pathologist at the time. I was still working as a server and as a bartender. So I had that reality check with myself because I wasn't making enough money as an assistant. And I was like, no, although that I have a bachelor's degree, like I need to go out and make some money. And then I went out to get my master's and I'm still working these multiple streams of income, but they're not at the level of server cashier now. It's just within like my industry. But I would just say nothing is beneath you. That's what I always tell myself. Like I still go out to some of my rental properties and I go clean the properties whenever I'm doing like the flip because I do midterm rental. So they're always like leaving. And so many investor friends, they're just like, like, how do you feel about cleaning it by yourself? And I'm just like, like nothing is beneath me. Yeah, I'm the landlord. I'm making like the money and like everything, but like nothing is beneath me. So when you start telling yourself nothing is beneath me because so many people, they don't want to pick up that second job because they think that I look in my look like if they're not, if they don't have any money to society or to like their friends and their friends are just like, why do you have two jobs and not have any money? And that's probably like the honest truth. That's why you need to pick up a second job. But it's just a reality check and telling yourself that nothing is beneath you because you got to get your finances up. So obviously I would get a side hustle, preferably something within your industry that you could contract. So I'm a contractor or 
do any of that, I would recommend just picking up random side hustles like like being a high-end babysitter or like walking dogs like at first and start using that money and throwing it towards your debt and investing. Because for me, like $20, that's a lot of money for me. I value money. I value $1. So you got to go back to that mindset of you got to value your money. If you don't want to pick up a side hustle, then you're going to have to cut your expenses. So again, once you have created your budget sheet, your needs want, and your savings, I really want you guys to reflect on your needs and on your want, because that's where you're going to be cutting. If you're making $4,000, but if you're spending the $4,000, like if you're spending $2,000 on rent, you're spending half of your income on rent. So I would go back, reflect on that. And I would be like, I need to move somewhere where I'm spending like $1,000 instead of 50% of my income. So those types of reflections, but that is only possible to do when you write all of your financial, all of your finances on a piece of paper. And that's where you could start cutting. I think that's so good. I have a little story to share because it definitely aligns with what you said about nothing is beneath you. It was something crazy that happened. And this week was Valentine's Day. It was on Valentine's night. I was making dinner for Grayson and I was like, baking him a cake and he takes the dog out and he's gone for 30 minutes. I'm like, where the heck are you? I'm ready to eat (laughs) and have this romantic dinner. He comes back almost in tears and I'm like, what's going on? What happened? He goes, I just ran into one of our neighbors, which is an elderly man. He's like in his 70s, who is outside, like drinking by our apartment pool by himself. And he's just pouring his heart out about his finances And just about this like terrible situation that he's in, being lonely, all these things, just like pouring out all this, this stuff that like to Grayson and Grayson's like, I feel like this was a God thing. Like I was meant to be in this moment. I was meant to comfort him. And so I spent time with him. And so anyways, he's telling me about this. I'm like, we need to go be with him. Like he sounds like he's in a really tough spot. So after dinner, we like went over to his apartment and I don't know this man. I've had several words with him, like in passing, just going to the car and stuff, but nothing Like, I don't know enough. I don't know what kind of work he does. I don't know his story. I didn't know he was single. Like, I don't know his story. We go over there and we end up, we're in his apartment talking to him and he's sharing with me a lot of like his financial past and his story. And I think it's just crazy that we're having this conversation about money and the topic of nothing is beneath you. But I think now that I'm like reflecting, I feel like a lot of his struggles that he's in now is because he lived, he, he said, quote unquote, that I have standards. I'm not willing to give up my fancy car. I'm not willing to sell things in my storage unit. I'm not willing to go and serve, be a server. Basically saying that he was, he had standards too high to things were beneath him, basically in his mindset. He wasn't willing to, he has this super fancy sports car and just all of these things that he can't afford. Like he has, he's, he has this lifestyle that he can't afford and it's putting him in a lot of stress mentally. And I'm thinking over here, I try not to tell this old man what to do with his money, but I'm like, I can help you like sell some stuff if you need help. Like he's has cancer. He has all these medical bills. He's just in a really rut of a spot. And I'm thinking about, wow, like the amount of knowledge that he could have been like pouring into himself, like in his younger years so that he's not putting himself in the situation in his retirement. He can't get a job because he's 70 years old. He has a bachelor's in business. And no one wants to hire him because he's 70 years old and he's just having a really hard time with his money. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to do. I want to solve this problem for him. But if anything, it taught me that it doesn't matter where you are in life. Like you can always, one, like sell some of your things. Like nothing is beneath you. I love that you said that. But I'm like, what what would you even do for somebody in that situation? What advice would you have for somebody who is of that age, who doesn't have a 401k, doesn't have any benefits? Like he doesn't have a social security, he said. I'm like, like what like how are you preparing for your retirement he wasn't he said he partied a lot he drank a lot he like always had nice cars and i'm just like man i don't know what to tell you is it too late for him I, if he starts right now and he contributes five hundred dollars a month he could probably become i don't know half a millionaire by the age of 100 but it's that's a hard one but that's being a vault not a vessel he has valuable things in his life and it's about saying do I really need this? Do I really want this? Is this being used on the daily, on the weekly? And that's a perfect example of having a tight grip on everything versus having open palms to give for yourself. Because ultimately, when you give, you get that same energy back. You get that yeah. same. I think money as like an energetic exchange. Yeah, it really is. And it just goes back to mindset. I do have so many friends where they're just like, buddy, if you like save too much, blah, blah, milk no, there. They'll be like, I never save. I'm not going to do any of that. I want to live in the moment. And then it's stories like that elderly guy that always gets to me. Because I'm just like, if you would have just saved $500 a month, not even that much, if, especially if he drives fancy cars and if he like worked in business, like $500 a month probably wasn't a lot for him, just from the sounds of it. And he could have just been retired so chill right now. But it just goes back to the mindset of it. And I do see it more in males than what I see it in females. That's why I only work with primarily females because females are very open to changing their mindset towards like money. Whereas with my male friends, they're very, they love to spend all their money for some reason. I don't know why, but they do. And they're very much, I just want to live in the moment type of like thing. But it's very hard to change a male mindset on money. It's much more easier for me to change a female's mindset on money. Speaking of male and female finances, I want to hear all about y'all's South by event coming up because I know that everyone will be invited. So what's going to go down on the event? What is it? March 14th. March 14th. So what's going to go down on the event on March 14th? Yeah, I'm so excited. So we're calling it creator season because we see that this has definitely been a word that I've been embodying over the last year as I feel like I'm stepping into my purpose and like realizing my gifts is that like we're all made to create something. Maybe it's creating wealth, like balance and budget is teaching. Maybe it's creating content. Maybe it's creating a business or just creating a life that you love, creating community. So we're calling it creator season. And I think it's going to be so incredible just to unite female entrepreneurs, but also males are invited. It's going to be in Austin, Texas. You want to tell them a little bit about what your vision is and like how you want people to feel when they walk into one of our events? Yes, I'm so excited. And I'm just so excited to be hosting with Taylor because I feel like Oh my God, she's like amazing. <laughs> she's a dev. I want people to walk in and just be noticed and to be able to pour out all of their creative ideas with other creators as well too. And how Taylor said, like, it's not only for Instagram creators. It's for anyone that's just creating like anything. So it could be real estate creators, it could be investors. It could be someone who's like creating their business. I just feel like whenever we all come together with all of this creativity, like everyone could just share their ideas, their networking. We're also going to have a panel as well, too, 
that's going to be so much fun where we're just going to be talking about so many different topics around creating and also burnout as well too that's also a very important topic we want everyone to come dressed up really cute as well too <laughs> because we rented out Mira Mira Studios which is a photography studio created by Juliana she's a local photographer here in Austin and her studio just embodies creativity oh my goodness I want her to design my future house anyone is welcome females and males as well too and it's going to be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're also going to have raffles and we're going to have different vendors and yummy food. <laughs> yes, it's going to be so exciting. And it's during South by Southwest. So if you guys are familiar with South by, I've actually never gone to South by, but I'm super excited because it's going to be bringing in entrepreneurs and creatives from literally all over the world. And we're just super excited. It's like perfect timing. We're just excited to meet everybody. So if you guys are wanting to make a trip to Austin, definitely come check it out. <laughs> I'm laughing because Maris and I ran into each other at an event in South by last year. And she was like, wait, I know you. And we had met previously at like a networking event. So it's just, it's so valuable to be at spaces like that because you never know what could happen a year later. I had no idea that you'd be on the podcast. So it's just so sweet. I know. Talking with you, learning from you. I do remember that event. It was a crypto event. Yes. It was a crypto (laughs) event. I think it was like an NFT thing. And I was like, what the heck is an NFT? But Austin is like the hub for that stuff. Makes sense. Exactly. So pimp yourself out. How can everyone find you? Where should we connect? And then I also would love to hear about where your Airbnb is, just so if the listeners in the future want somewhere to stay, they know where it's at. Yeah, of course. So I'll be closing on my Airbnb on March 1st. Hopefully, finger crossed, it's in Twain Heart, California. It's an hour away from Yosemite, probably like an hour away from like the Bay Area. It's a vacation rental market that has been there forever. Once it goes live, I'll go ahead and send it over to the girl so they can link it in this podcast. But it's a three by two cabin and it's so gorgeous. It has half a frame. I'm going to put in a hot tub in there, fire pit. It's going to be so much fun and just like a great place just to go hang out. And also it has a private lake membership as well, too. Wow. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you could find me at Balance and Bud all together on Instagram. And my website is www.balanceandbudget.com. And you could also find me on TikTok as well, too, which is balance underscore and underscore budget. Incredible. Thank you so much for being on. We love hearing from you. And I just think you're so well-spoken. And I love what you're doing, getting women in the financial world. Yes, thank you. I feel like I always learn something new every time you speak. So thank you so much for being such an educator, but also just being so passionate about helping women. I think it's incredible what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for hosting. All right. We'll see you guys at Creator Season event. And thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you found this episode valuable. If so, please share with a friend or post on your story and tag us. If there's a season you're currently going through, slide into our DM. We're bringing the social back into social media. So send us a DM at Soul SEN Podcast. Thanks for pressing play. We can't wait to hear from you.